0: Well, welcome. We're going to continue on looking at the Lord's Prayer. So if you would stand with me, we're going to once again recite the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. We've been looking at this all summer, really a model prayer, looking at the heart behind it all. So uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. So we have spent a lot of time walking through this, really the heart of the model prayer. What do we really... Doing when we pray, right? Are we praying or just saying? And we have looked through the foundation. It's it's a heart relationship. It's a new covenant relationship with Father, with Abba, right? Father Abba, Father King, Father Provider, Father Communicator, Father Forgiver. And ultimately, in this last one, talking about temptation, Father Protector, right? Temptation, testing, all of us, one out of one humans on this planet. We've been tested this week. Maybe you were tempted in that testing, Right. And what was what is temptation? What is the biblical definition of temptation? It's testing. But what is at the core of the testing for you and I is to act independently of God. To be put in a situation where we feel so pulled, so so compressed, so stretched, so angry, so bitter, so scared, so anxious, so worried that we feel we get to the breaking point and we just have to act. We just have to act. God's not, God's not revealing anything. God's quiet. God's not moving fast enough. God's not doing what I want him to do. So I'm just going to take control. So at the, at the root of biblical temptation and testing is this, this, uh, I got to act independently. I got I to take care of this, right? It's to act independently. And so throughout this week, think about, Think about it this way. This, this week, the last seven days since we were together at work, at home, driving, your diet, your finances, your thought life, your words. Reframe it now this past week in terms of how many times were you tested slash tempted to act independently of God. Where you knew even what the Bible said in that situation. You knew that your response wasn't biblical. You knew what you were about to do wasn't even biblical. But it was habitual. It was more comfortable. It, it medicated you. It alleviated the anxiety, the angst you were feeling. So in that moment, think back this week, when whether you saw it coming or whether it had just happened. In that moment, you had this battle raging... To act independently of God. To take control. Right? That's all of us. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it said it's common to man. Okay, so I'm going to make us all feel a little bit better. If at any time in the last seven days, you were tested slash tempted to act independently of God, just raise your hand. Okay, look around. and Put a smile on your face and say, You too? You too? You see, it's not an excuse, but there's comfort in knowing that I'm not the worst one in the room. Amen? <laughs> right? We all kind of, and we've talked about this, this, how the church hasn't handled temptation and testing well. In fact, we went the other way and we try to deal with it by sort of condemning and shaming you into not even being tempted or tested. But we've learned several weeks ago, is it a sin to simply be tested? Is it a sin to be tempted? No, because Jesus was, Job was, the Apostle Paul, King David, right? So if you were tested or tempted this week, you're in pretty good company. The issue comes down to what did you do? Okay, so now rewind the tape and go back and just, you don't have to share. This one you don't have to share. How did you do? How are you doing as you sit here? with those issues that you were tempted, tested, to act independently? Are you still down the road, independence road, even as you sit here? You made a decision on Wednesday to act independently, and you still are kind of down that road as you sit here, knowing what God's will says, knowing you probably shouldn't be, you know, you got to pull over and get off the nearest, the closest off-ramp, make a U-turn and head back to God's will. How did you do this week in terms of, Lord, I really, I, I'm feeling it. I got, I got to, I got to take this. I got to take this. How'd you do this week with that? How'd you do? Because we've seen that that really this this line where it says, you know, lead us not into temptation is really a heart of protect my heart. Lord, get me get me to a place where I'm so able to trust you even though I don't understand what's going on, even though it feels horrible, even though everything in me, all the habits, growing up independent, growing up self-reliant, growing up self-sufficient, everything in me is screaming to act independent right now. Lord, keep, keep my heart tender and, and, and trusting. That's the heart of this, right? And, and we looked at last week, if we're going to, as a church, walk through... And one another, one another, and grow in our relationship with God in the area of temptation, we have to be wise to what the enemy's doing to all of us. To all of us. If I, if, in order for me to not be so condemning and finger wagging to Scott, if we both understand that the devil is working on both of us in the exact same way, I can have compassion on him. But when we, when we bear our heads in the, in the ground and, and we, we refuse to own, our own stuff and how we're being tested in the same way, then then we turned in then it just turns in being critical. How could you? And you played guitar? You're on the worship team? Right? And you hang out with Pat? We told you about Pat. That was cause your defense. I was defending you too, sorry. You know. Right, Pat? You got that and that ponytail, what is that? Right? I mean so right? Got be careful of the guys, you know, be careful of that. <laughs> if we're not careful and we don't understand what's going on, what we call around here, under the hood, what, how the devil's poking and prodding and, and, and the same strategy he used in the garden in the perfect setup and they fell, same strategy we saw last Sunday. If we're, if we're not willing to accept that that's happening to me, then I'm going to be more like this at you. Shame, 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 shame. shame. But if I go, wait, ooh, me too, then we're in this together. Then instead of this, it becomes we. It becomes one anothering, right? And what did we see last week? We, we looked at the garden, and, and we saw at the core that the devil back then in the garden, and 2019, you and me this week, some of you right here as you sit here right now, he's trying to do three things, right, at the core. What did he do with Eve? He wanted doubt, and once he got doubt, go ahead, Eileen. Once once he played on doubt, God's not a good God. God's hiding something from you. You can't trust God. Once he gets into your mind, head and our heart about God's goodness, God's will, God's plan for you as his child, Abba, remember, right? Once he starts working on doubt, it's not too far away for us to go, okay, yeah, I can't trust him. So then we deny or disregard his word. And now instead of the authority of his word, who becomes the authority? Me. Me, myself, and I. Right? So, so the same strategy. Doubt comes in. Think about this past week. The areas where you're struggling, where you're tested and tempted, what are you doubting God for? What are you, what are you, what are you trusting God for? And where right now, maybe as you sit here, you're a little bit shaky if God's going to come through. It's the same strategy. It's doubt. We're not so sure anymore. We can trust the Bible. So we start to lean on our own understanding. We decide what's legit and not. And then it leads to disobedience. We take control. Same strategy, right? I've shared this with you before. It goes back to our belief structure, right? Another way to look at it. Beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. The devil wants to attack you at your belief. At your belief. So if you're worried, right? Matthew 6 says, don't worry about what you're supposed to eat and all that, the material things, right? It says, don't worry. And why aren't we supposed to worry in Matthew 6? Because your Father knows, right? But if you look at it here, if your action is worry, anxiety, fear about these very things, you've got to ask yourself. Am I really believing my father's going to take care of me? You see how it goes back. You got to ask yourself this week, in the areas that you've been tested and tempted, where are you being really challenged at belief? Because that's where you and I get really, really tested to act independently is when we no longer, or our, our foundation of belief in a loving, providing father, right? If that gets shaky, we're no longer believing it, we step in and fill the gap. We just step in and fill the gap, right? And there's a whole progression. We looked at that, thoughts, emotions, actions. And here's the grand scheme, the grand deception of the devil. When he gets us to walk down these paths, in the very end, we justify, we excuse, we rationalize, and and something we start saying things that we never thought we would ever verbalize. Something like this. I know what the Bible says and I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I think it's best. Six months ago, that would have been the last thing you thought would ever come out of your mouth. But you were so tested, so tempted, so stretched, so pulled, your belief structures rocked, your thoughts, your your, your emotions are all playing it and suddenly... The grand deception is you are able with peace and conviction to say, I know this is what the Bible says, but I'm doing this. That's how it plays out. That's the grand deception is when we get to the place where we actually feel good about disobedience. We feel good, we're comfortable with it, we justify it, we rationalize it, and we go on our merry way. Right, that's the progression. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death." That's what the devil gets. He gets it in our head. He convinces us. That it seems right, feels good, makes sense to me. Everyone else is doing it. The way is death. End of the way is death. Verses reaffirming our faith in Father and Father's word. Right? We looked at this. Proverbs three five and seven. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and he will, make your straight, he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This verse right here might actually be the one that some of you need for right now in your life. You're being tested and tempted right now, and your trust is wavering. You're starting to lean on your own understanding and you're you're right now you're sitting here and you're kind of wise in your own eyes. You think you figured it out. You're going to work the system. You know just what to do to fix it. This might here this verse might be for somebody here who's twisted and tied up in knots this morning. You got to come back to the simplicity of trust. You got to look under the hood. You got to say, "Man, Uh, I'm getting triggered right now. Something's going on. What something's going on usually is that you're being tested in your trust, in your faith, in your faith. And when that rocks, suddenly you lean on your own understanding. We go back to what we know. Okay. So having said all of this, knowing the enemy's strategy, knowing it's coming, reaffirming our faith, even here, what do we do when we blow it? What are we supposed to do? Perhaps before you put your head down on your pillow tonight, you may blow it one or more times. What are we supposed to do? Right? We looked at this in the other forgive us our debts, right? Restoration through confession and repentance, verse John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, so here. Liberation from some of you and me who right now go, Ro, Ro, Ro. I've been acting independently, Mark. I haven't been trusting. He already outed me, and it's only 1035. I've been outed. Here's the good news. You can make it right, right now as you're sitting here. Don't even wait till the end of the sermon. If there's an area or areas of your life this week where you are just been outed, that you've been acting independently, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. Here's the crazy thing. First John one nine says, "If you confess, the word we're confess in the Bible means to agree or say the same thing, which means if I confess my sin, all I'm saying is God, you call this sin, in your word you call this sin, I confess, I'm calling it sin. That's the word confess is just to agree and call it what He calls it. So, if you have been sinning in an area of temptation and testing, you've been acting independently. We're to confess it, and according to that verse, what does he do? When? Right now! Amen? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little application. So we're going to sit quietly. And if you need to confess right now before God, something where you've been acting independently, disobedience, whatever, confess it. Tell him the best way you know how you want to turn from it as you sit here. And we're all going to get God's forgiveness for this area. Can we do that right now? All right, let's pray. Father, you say in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we have been tested. We have been tempted this week. Father, there is nothing hidden from your sight. Nothing. We're good at fooling others, and we're actually pretty good at fooling ourselves. So, Father, in the best way we know how, we're going to lay ourselves bare before you. And we're going to have a time, just a quiet confession, agreement with you in the areas of sin, according to your word. Father, our desire is to honor you, and the word repent is simply to turn, to turn from acting independently to turn back to you. So, Father, we're just going to pause, have a time of confession and repentance. Father, you said in your word, if we did this, if we confessed our sins, you would be faithful and just to forgive us. So now, on the authority of your word, not in how we feel, on the authority of scripture, on the authority of truth, your word, we receive your forgiveness and say thank you. We turn, we're going to need your Holy Spirit, we blew it, we blundered, we stumbled, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you. We remember our sins no more. You're not holding it against us. You don't keep a file cabinet. It's all gone. We're cleansed. Now we just want to walk forward and would you speak to us in the remainder of our time through your word about how to do this together. Thank you, Father. We lift this up and we come to you only in the name of our high priest Jesus. Amen. Feels good, doesn't it? That's what you do. This is how we do it. This is how you walk with Father. This is this is a new covenant relationship. This is how you do it. Wherever you are, work, driving, you know. This is how you do it. You see it. The Holy Spirit convicts you. You do something with it. So that's what we do, right? So that's that's one element. What do I do when I blow it? When I fall? When I fail? But we're gonna we're gonna transition because we're called the church and we're called to one another, one another. So the question for us is is, is take our eyes off of me for a second and all my stumbles. Let's look outward to one another. What are we supposed to do when someone in the church transgresses or sins? What are we supposed to do when our brother and sister in Christ doesn't experience victory or falls, succumbs to testing and temptation? What are we supposed to do Because we're called to one another, one another. And as a church family, again, a lot of us have different upbringings. A lot of us have a lot of different church traditions. And this idea of having responsibility to one another when someone else has fallen, that's, uh, you know, some of your hearts are racing right now. Because the first thing you want to do when you see somebody stumbling is that you need to go talk to the pastor. Right? Right? We're going to see in Scripture, no, it's one another. We have a great responsibility to one another when it's our brother and sister who have stumbled. It's our brother and sister who have fallen, right? In high school, uh, I played football and did pretty good. uh, When I was a junior, I got put up to the varsity. I was a wide receiver, and you want to prove yourself. You want to show yourself. So I remember this very distinctly. Uh, I got put into my first game. They threw me the ball, and I caught it. And again, it's one of those moments where I I can't even explain what happened. I caught it, and I turned to run, right? I turned to run. Our team was real successful. Our defense was one of the best. I don't think they had been scored on. In fact, I remember our our, our defense, one of the top in the league. I turned, and I don't know what happened, but the ball came out. I took a few steps, and it just came out. I I couldn't even explain it. it. never happened to me in my life before. Yada, yada. I tried to get it. Stumble, Fumble. I'm on the ground, I end up like this. The DB had recovered it, and all I could hear was their stands, because I was on their, their, their side of the field. I could hear their stands erupt as he ran it for a touchdown. And I'm laying there with my face in the, you know. So there's two things happening simultaneously. I'm laying there, you know, that, that commercial, Want to Get Away? Right? <laughs> So on the one hand I'm like what did what just happened? Never happened to me in my life. You know? So I'm reeling and I'm I'm angry at myself. I'm like what what are you doing? And then it dawns on me in the next second, you got to get up. <laughs> and you have to jog all the way across the field back to your team while the while your school is looking at you, all the fans Oh, if you've ever seen this on pro sports, it's the same thing. Somebody does something, and everyone's like, What just happened? Right? Unexplainable. I get up, and I. So, two things are happening. I'm dealing with my own anger at myself, my own regret, my own, like, you blew it, idiot. And I'm jogging. You know, you got to jog the game. And I'm like, Oh, dude. And I'm a junior. There's seniors waiting for me. And the defense is waiting for me because they went their shutout. Even though it's not on them, on the scoreboard, it's not a shutout. And I'm jogging, and the coaches are waiting. Right? You ever have this moment at work, or at home, or in your family, where anyone ever blow it, and you're just waiting for mom or dad to come home? Or, you, you know, there's nothing you can do. It's out. It's out. The only thing you're gearing up for is what? The response. The response. You're gearing up for the response. You've been exposed. You're busted. The score's changed. They're cheering. It's quiet on your side. And I jog across, you know, and, and, and in sports, you kind of know that, that the game's not over, so you can't, the idea, if you've ever seen on sports where someone makes a blunder and they go to their sideline and everyone pats them on the rear or hits their helmet and like it's okay, and, and you're, you're a fan, you're going crazy, and like, how could they be doing that? Because the game's not over. They need the guy to stay in, in positive. They need to stay, they, they can't beat him up mentally because he's going to be so discouraged and so despondent that the next play he's going to biff and mess up. So in sports, when someone blows it and you go back to the sideline, they're all coming around encouraging. It's all right, man, it's all right. You'll get them next time, you'll get him next time. Because the game's not over and they need you to catch the ball the next time. They need you to make the field goal next time. They need you to, they need you to stay in the game. Don't get consumed with yourself. Don't get consumed with what just happened. You can't change that. You have to stay in the game. It's not over. Right? And I got back and we went through that whole thing and it was fine. But in the church, I think sometimes we don't do it as well as the football teams and the sports teams. Because you or I are going to blunder. You're going to blow it. And you're going to be dealing with two things, the same two things. How could you do that? I can't believe you did it again, you idiot. And then you're going to have to get up, and it's going to be Sunday morning. And you're going to wonder if you can drive to 1290 Grand, because everybody knows. And in the same way that I was jogging back to the team, wondering what kind of reception I was going to get... Some people in the church who blow it wonder what kind of reception they're gonna get the next time they show face. And for some, the guilt and the shame and the fear is so overwhelming that they never come back. I couldn't do that on the football field. That would be like me getting up and running straight to the bus. Where are you going, man? <laughs> to the bus. I'll catch you guys after the game. (laughs) What are you doing? We need... Oh, man, I blew it. It's horrible. You guys must hate me. No, we're not happy with you. But you can't go to the bus. It's the first quarter for crying out loud. But some people in the church never come back. You head to the bus. And if we're honest, it's because the church hasn't really handled this really well. Mostly because maybe we've never been taught how to handle it. And when someone blows it and they're jogging back to the church sideline, you know, a lot of us just take one big step back. Talk to the pastor. Right? Hebrews 10.24 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting. To meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near this word encourage one another we're to come alongside one another this isn't just coffee and donuts this isn't just shooting the breeze about how work was and how's the kids how's the family to, to biblically encourage one another is to come alongside someone to enable them to take some action okay You come alongside someone to encourage and help and assist them to take some actual action. Way beyond what we call fellowship in the church. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? How's your week? Good, fine. How's the work? Good, fine. It's way beyond that, right? Andy Stanley says this, the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. So in this area of temptation, it's not just about me knowing what the devil's doing and me confessing. It's also about coming here and Monday through Saturday, understanding your responsibility and my responsibility to one another in this area. We have a responsibility to one another in this area, right? And we're going to focus on this passage, Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's go back to the top. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Who's he talking to when he says brothers? The church. The church. If anyone, he's talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. If anyone is caught in any transgression, not just the biggies, not just the one you see on TV, not just the ones that flash across your, your news feed, any transgression. Forget the biggie. This, it, this is any. Right? Look what it says. You. It doesn't say Pastor Richie. It doesn't say Elder Bill. Elder Mark. It says you. Who is the you? Okay, make it singular. Who is the you? Oh, me. All of us, right? The church. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When it says spiritual, it's talking, remember the context is the church, this is the church's response responsibility. When it says spiritual, it means those who are walking in the spirit. Those who are yielded and submitted. It does not say you who are sinless. Big difference. It says you who are spiritual. Right? Very, very important distinction. You're walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have a perfect life, but you yourself, you're spiritually mature, you're walking, your heart is to honor God by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, right? You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. And this is really important for those who have been in the church for some time. Because the way we do programming in the church is that you come here on Sundays and then we do a small, we do like a a midweek and there's some really spiritual mature person who leads that. And then maybe we have small groups, but small groups are always led by really spiritually mature gifted people, right? And so it's weird in the church that there's this sort of like all-star team that gets developed and only the all-star team can run the ministries and minister to people. That's not, this verse blows that out of the water. Because it says, you who are spiritual, you who are walking in the Spirit, right? Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Biblically, the word filled means controlled. That's all it means, it's controlled. Be controlled by the Spirit. I say, Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You mature believers who are walking in the Spirit daily, not leading small groups, not a ministry leader in any capacity, just you who are walking with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, we all have a responsibility when a brother and sister falls. You do. It's all of us. Okay? Very important. Now, go back to Galatians 6, where it says, if anyone is caught. Super important word there. That word caught, the image, the word is surprised. Caught off guard. Now, this is not an excuse. It's just what it means is if I see a brother and sister who, and this is not what it means. This is not someone who is willfully, premeditatively sinning. This is not an issue where someone has just like, ah, you know, I don't need the Bible. I don't need church. I, I'm a Christian, but they're living for themselves in willful disobedience. This is not that case. This is not that. When it says caught, it means Surprised. Okay, it means a situation happened, circumstances lined up in such a way that this person who actually was following Jesus and wanted their best to honor Jesus daily, it just lined up, circumstances just collided, it was a perfect storm, and they blew it. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about willful, premeditated sin, someone who's living in the flesh, calling themselves a so-called Christian. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a brother or sister who acknowledges, has a heart for the Lord, and says, hey bro, dude, this is what happened. I I don't even know. This, and then this, and then this. And I made some choices, and... Bro, I don't know what happened. I can't even even tell you why I did what I did. Right? It's not an excuse. He's just being honest. He's being transparent. If you're still struggling with this, I want you to think about this. I want you to think of Peter. This is very similar to the, the, the understanding of what this Galatians 6 is talking about. It's Peter. In Matthew 26, what did Jesus say? He said, hey... You will all fall away of me, will fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. See, I don't doubt Peter's sincerity i don't even doubt peter's intention to hang in there but what happened in matthew 26:69 is peter kind of followed jesus and luke it says they built a fire so peter decided he's just going to sit by the fire and he's warming himself with the crowd so peter makes the decision he's getting comfortable he doesn't really he's vulnerable He just sees Jesus get arrested. So he's not even in the right state. He's vulnerable. He makes a choice to sit and make himself comfortable. And then it happens. Right? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came up to him and said, You also were Jesus of the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know him. I don't know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Now he's so deep. He's lost so much self-control. Now now he's cussing to cover himself, to protect himself. He's so freaked out. He's cussing. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered this saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And here's a very important part of this passage before you get too self-righteous. He went out and wept bitterly. I love that. Because that indicates where his heart really was. He had a heart for Jesus. The last thing he ever thought he would do would deny him in public. And when he did, he was a broken man. He was a broken man. The crazy thing, remember beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions? Here's the crazy thing. Peter had a false belief about himself. You know what his false belief was when Jesus first said you're going to have? He said, here's his false belief. It's impossible for me to deny Jesus. He had a false belief. And it led to thoughts, emotions, and actions. I never will. I'll die. You see? Beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. The perfect storm lined up. And the false belief was exposed. And Peter freaked out. He got scared. He starts cussing to protect himself. In Luke 22, it's even more powerful because apparently Jesus heard and saw all of this. We forget that Jesus was right there. Look what it says in Luke 22. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Turned and looked. This didn't happen in isolation. Jesus was right there. Isn't it crazy the things we think we're not capable of doing when God's right there (laughs) watching it all? Listening to it all. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is what we're talking about in Galatians 6. A brother and sister, perfect storm happens in their life. They're saying and doing things that they believed was impossible for them to ever say or do. Now they're broken they're humiliated, they're repentant. The question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? What would you have done that night if the rumor and the gossip spread back to you and you said, hey, did you hear? Peter blew it. How would you have responded? I knew it. I knew that guy was full of it. I knew that guy. I knew he was so arrogant. I knew it. What a clown, Peter. I knew it. Is that what you had done? How would you have responded to hearing that Peter blew it? In fact, how would you have responded the first time you saw Pete? Would it, would it, would it have been a, hey, all right, man, come on, stay in the game? What would you say it? Really? Really, Peter? And Jesus was right there. He told you what you were going to do. But no! No, no, no. You had to make this bold statement that you would even die with him. Well, how'd that work out, Pete? He was ten feet away from you. How could you? Idiot. How would you have responded to Peter? Peter? Because here's the challenge. A lot of us grew up in those environments where you blew it and for some reason people thought the best way to get you to stop blowing it was to beat you up. To scare the bejeebies out of you so you never do that again. Right? How would you have responded to Peter? Because here's the deal, guys you're surrounded by Peters right in this room. And you might be a Peter in this room. And there's a question that applies to everybody here and everyone listening online. When you blow it, are you able to go to someone in honesty and transparency and say, brother, sister, you got some time? And if someone else blows it, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's why it says you who are spiritual, you got to do it in the spirit. Because a fruit of the spirit is what? Gentleness. I put up Galatians 6.1, right? It says you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Because in your flesh, and in my flesh, quite honestly, you might be thinking certain things like, how could you do that? What were you thinking? You just lost your family. You just lost your job. You're going to jail. What are you doing? That's not how I raised you. What do you think? You might be thinking all oh, of that. That might be a first reaction in the human level. But you've got to do it in the spirit of gentleness, which means you've got to say, Father, you're going to have to help me with this one. Because everything in me right now is pretty angry at this person. Everything in me right now wants to be kind of condemning. Everything in me right now wants to be really critical and harsh. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? If you're a parent, you can't even know what I'm talking about. To the nth degree. Right? It's not an excuse. It doesn't mean you don't discipline. It doesn't mean you don't bring... You don't. What we're talking about is the heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's a spirit of gentleness. And then, look, the Scripture turns it right back. Keep watch on yourself. So it's not even gentleness, it's humility. Honesty and humility. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He's like, hey, you better come in the spirit of gentleness because you're human too. And before you start throwing rocks at your brother, check your own self, buddy. Because in the next instant, you might be going to him because you just blew it. This is what it means to one another, is we come to each other in a spirit of gentleness and humility and honesty and compassion. And we say, all right, let's look under the hood together. Let's just look. And it's going to be messy. And it's going to be inconvenient and it's going to take time, and there's going to be not a quick fix, and I can't just give you two verses and make it go away. You're going to cry. You're going to scratch your head. You're going to let someone vent in anger. Because this is what we do. This is what we do as the church, right? Augustine says this, there is no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit also. <sighs> so when you see ministers fall on TV and you're so quick to judge and throw rocks, you're no different. It's just guys like me, we're up front. We don't have a place to hide. If I blow it, all the is going to know probably in a big portion of San Diego because of all the people I know in San Diego. I'm just up front. I can't hide my stuff. You guys get that privilege. And one of the things that keeps me in check is I know me. No way, it's not an excuse. It's just a healthy fear of me. (laughs) But for the grace of God, amen? It is a but-for-the-grace-of-God moment because we all have our stories, we all have our history, we all have our weaknesses, and the enemy knows exactly what buttons to press. Anyone ever have buttons pressed? And you're like, what? the enemy knows. The enemy knows how to get you. Right? 1 Corinthians 10, 12 Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You've got to be real careful about spiritual pride. You've got to be real careful about thinking you got it all together and how could so-and-so be such a dummy and do that? You go down that road, you're probably going to be making the next call to somebody to come help you. You've got to be real careful about self-righteousness in the church and spiritual pride guy named Schreiner says this, Arrogance cuts people off from the lives of others, but it is also deceitful. For those who are proud are impressed with themselves when in actuality they are nothing. Those who help others in their spiritual struggles must be conscious of their own sins and thereby they will not fall prey to the deception that they are part of the spiritual elite. There is no spiritual elite. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. We're all in process. We're just all in process. And but by the grace of God, you and I could do some pretty sinful things before this day was over. But by the grace of God. Amen? That's just truth. That's just truth. But it's also joy in that because of the grace of God. Amen? Amen. The, the, don't let that... Just have it a healthy, but a healthy joy. Bring the joy into that that you don't even want to do that stuff. Any one of you... Any one of you like... Think of your old self, and you're like, I don't even want that life anymore. Anyone? Isn't that a hallelujah moment? You're like, yes! Okay, so celebrate that too. Right? He changes your desires. He empowers you to walk in godliness and holiness. He wants you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Celebrate that. All the time being healthy. A healthy estimation that you're probably that close away if you clicked into the flesh. Amen? That's just truth. If you keep those two, you'll be able to come with each come at each other and one another in compassion, right? It says bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. This word bear is when someone is oppressed with this crushing weight in their life. We're to come alongside and offer to bear it with them. Hey, you're not alone. Hey, what can I do to help you? I'm here. Time, energy, resources, I'm here. Right When something is so big and oppressive that they can't handle it, they're being crushed by it. We all have personal responsibilities, but if you see a brother and sister being crushed and and just weighed down with something, we have, we're commanded to bear that burden with them. We're commanded to bear that burden with them, and that's inconvenient because people people's lives don't mesh up with my schedule all the time, you know. People are like, what do you do? Don't you just work one day a week on Sunday mornings? So I'm like, yeah, I wish. <laughs> no, I'm kind of like on call 24/7. I've gotten calls at like 12 and 1 a.m. 1 hey, I'm not. I've like I've driven to people to the ER at 1 a.m. and stayed with them till 4 a.m. That's kind of my job. That's what I do. But weird, that's what we're supposed to do. We're all supposed to be available at 1 a.m. for one another because we're all supposed to be bearing each other's burdens. Right, my number's just on all your bulletins, so I guess I'm easy. But truth be known, it's it's a we, it's a we, right? And what is the law of Christ? It's just love. It's loving one another. John 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. James 2:8. If you really fulfill the royal law. According to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So we bear one another's burdens to fulfill the, ro- the law of Christ, which is what? Love. Bear one another's burdens. Just love each other. What kind of love? It's called agape love self sacrificial love. Self sacrificial love. I don't want anything back. It's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. Time, resources, energy. This love, God so loved, that's agape love, ultimate example. That's the same love we're supposed to extend to one another, self-sacrificial. Okay? It's not just theory, it's in practice. And it's not compromising. We're to speak the truth, but we're to speak the truth in love. All right? We speak the truth. This church is rooted on the authority of Scripture, the truth of Scripture. We're not here to beat anyone up. We're not here to bash you over the head. We're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to speak the truth in love because we believe this is the best thing for you. It's your choice, though. We're just going to speak the truth in love, all right? We're not going to beat you over the head, right? And in Galatians 3, 4 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. What he's talking about in 3 and 4 is just pride. In the church, he says, Hey, you know what? Don't compare. Don't compare yourself. Because once you slide down comparison and you get prideful, you start looking down on people. Ah, serves them right. Ah, oh, they did it themselves. Let them dig out. Right? I would never do that. Why should I help? That was their choice. I've heard it all in 30 years. Reap what you sow. We get all biblical. what right, well, reap what you sow. duh I, how could they? Well, psh, reap what you sow. Reap what you sow, brother. Well, what we, that's its arrogance. It's pride. We start looking down on people. Right? Can't do that. Can't do that. Love this quote. It says, The one who thinks himself too spiritual to assist a brother in trouble or in need is deceived. Blinded by conceit, he may claim to be spirit-filled, but he isn't. For the spirit moves godly men to help each other. God's estimate of spirituality has more to do with the way one pays his bills, speaks to his wife, raises his children, and serves an employer than with the stand on doctrinal issues or emotional experiences. It's about how you live. What does the church do? Oh, no, we're spiritual here. We got our statement of faith. And by golly, not budging on our statement of faith, but that becomes your sense of and source of spirituality. You missed the boat. You missed the boat. Walking in the Spirit should actually give you a greater compassion for others. If you have been a Christian for a long time and your compassion and willingness to help other believers is actually waning, you got to call time out. It's actually supposed to be reversed. The more you walk with Jesus, you're supposed to have a greater compassion for others. It's supposed to go that way. But the church in America has kind of made it this way. More, more, me, 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 me. No, if you're walking with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're supposed to be giving out more. So flip it. Just flip it, right? Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, in a church, unfortunately, church in the USA is all about my interests. Good sermon, good music. Good donuts, good coffee, good facility, good lighting, good AC. It's all about me, me, me. What am I going to get on a Sunday? What am I going to get on Tuesday? What am I going to get from the women's group? What am I going to get from the men's group? What are my kids getting in Kingdom Kids? It's me, so me-centered. It's so me-centered that when someone blows it and sins and falls in temptation, we don't even know what to do anymore. Well, you should call the pastor. We missed it. We've been deceived, right? John Brown says it best. The, great, the greater advance a man makes in true Christianity, the more humble he becomes. He gets better acquainted with himself, more emancipated from the dominion of self love, and obtains higher and juster ideas of that holiness which is the object of his ambition. You just get it better. The more you love Jesus, the less you love yourself, basically. The more focused you're on Jesus, the less focused you're on on me, myself, and I. That's what he's saying, right? So we don't compare. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Romans 14.10 says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So, then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I'm not here to judge you. You're going to stand before God. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to speak the truth in love. What you do with it is on you. I love you dearly. You know, it's not, you know, being the messenger is not always fun and pleasant. Lots of times I've had to be the messenger, and people have walked away from this church and from me, and they don't like me anymore because I just tried to be the messenger. That's just par par for the course. Right? They're accountable. You're accountable. You're accountable. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. I'm just trying to help encourage you along the way. Amen? That's all we're trying to do with each other. Right? Galatians 6.5 says we will each have to bear our own load. Which means this. I thought you said in Galatians earlier we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and then it says 6.5 we're going to bear our own load. Two word pictures. When it says, bear one another's burdens, that's like a big old backpacking backpack that's weighted down, 50 pounds of stuff. And they're like, oh, I can't carry this, it's crushing weight. That's what we're supposed to bear. And when Galatians 6, 5, when it says, each will have to bear his own load, what they're talking about there is a soldier's knapsack. And every soldier has his responsibility to carry his own stuff. In the church, you and I have our own responsibilities to carry our own stuff. We have personal responsibility. So what the the passage is talking about is we all have personal responsibilities, but when life comes and it heaps crushing weight on you, we all have to step in and help one another. That's what he's talking about, right? So it has to do, if we're going to one another, one another in testing and temptation, A, you got to check yourself. You got to be spirit filled. You got to do it in a spirit of gentleness. You also have to have a heart of compassion, And I think sometimes, we're going to close with this, I think sometimes in the church we tend to think kind of the worst of each other than the best. What do I mean by this? I read an article. uh, It's very interesting. It was a guy in a ministry and he says one of his interns that worked with him had a brother who was in law enforcement and his brother got shot while on the line of duty. And the intern told him, when, when everyone was responding and everything was going down, just being this guy's brother, saying his name, everyone loved, support, the community, came alongside, there was camaraderie, right? There was love, even though maybe there's bickering day to day in the police. Once something big like this happened, everyone comes together, right? Everyone in the station comes together, rallying around this family because a brother has been shot in the line of duty. And he was, he really, this, and then he said, you know, he said, a, a sister in the Lord came to him and she had blown it morally with a guy. And he says this. I wonder if in the family of God our failures in the community come because we are blind to the life and death struggle we are in. The enemy seems mythical, not real. The bullets aren't actually flying. Our souls aren't actually in danger of being devoured. Or are they? You see, he he likened an officer who who was was shot in the line of duty to a, a brother and sister in the Lord who was wounded in the line of duty of following Jesus. Right, And and he goes on to say that that this sister in the Lord who came to him having this moral failure, she was actually scared to go to the church out of fear of what the church was going to say and do and how they would react. But she was wounded in the line of battle. (laughs) She loved Jesus. Situations arose. She succumbed to sin. She was confessing it to someone and terrified to go to the church. And and his point in this story was, you know, when an officer, he says this, I'll quote him. He says, when a cop takes a bullet, the assumption is that he was in the right place doing his duty. He was taking the enemy head on. He was in the fight instead of on the sidelines. And then he says this, shouldn't we make the same assumption when a Christian takes a bullet? Right? You hear it. Officer gets shot and we're like, oh my gosh, the guy was just doing his best. He was trying to, he was doing, right, the assumption that he was where he needed to be and and it's so painful and horrible because he was wounded in the line of duty. And yet when it comes to the church, why is it that when you blow it, I'm like, what'd you do wrong? Where'd you blow it, Jordan? Again? This is probably your fault. Isn't it crazy how we do that? Instead of me just saying, Jordan, bro, I know you love Jesus. Just, let's talk, man. You're wounded. Come on. What happened? What happened? Why don't we show the same compassion to brothers and sisters who are wounded in the line of duty? Right? How would that change the church? How would that change this church if we had such a deep one another in relationship, a deep love for Jesus and each other where we deeply knew that we could go to, even go to one person and say, dude, I've been wounded in the line of duty. I'm hurting. And rather than finger wagging like how could you and what did you do wrong, we get somebody in our life that says, let's talk in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of humility, a brother and sister says, all right, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's do this together. As long as it takes. Agape love. Self-sacrificial. I'm here. Give me some of that burden. Give me some of that burden, bro. You don't have to do this alone. That's what I believe Jesus wants his church to be. That's why he says, if we love one another that way, the world's going to know. Were his disciples. It's a spirit of gentleness. And it starts with understanding God's gentleness. Romans 2, 4 says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not the finger-wagging wrath of God, sh- throw you to hell, God. It's God's kindness that wants to lead you to repentance. It's his kindness. Watch a little video clip that I've shown you, some of you before. Here's the heart of it. We all have our stuff. And if we're honest with one another, we are terrified to let anyone know our stuff. You're just straight up scared to death about what they're going to think about you. Start this way. God has a plan. God has a vision for you. He sees it. He sees you even though right now you don't see you. This video is called Beautiful Things. And you're a beautiful thing, because you're a child of God. Watch the video, and I pray God ministers to you. Father, we thank you. Everyone in this room, you say we are your workmanship, and you are faithful to complete what you have begun. And yet, Father, every day, it's relentless, the testings and the temptations the things that come at us from the enemy and the world and the flesh. And if we're honest, uh, man, there's times when we just scratch our head about decisions we make and things we say and things we do that maybe just a short time ago we thought we would never. And so, Father, uh, we confess these before you. Thank you that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, I pray that we would be a church of gentleness, and compassion a church that speaks the truth in love a church of true encouragement a church of agape love self-sacrificial for one another brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through the exact same things we are so we just want to take a moment now and, and just come before you and have some time of reflection and, and prayer to you Father about the areas of testing, temptation maybe another time of confession maybe a time of reaffirmation of our faith and trust in you, whatever it is. We just want to sit quietly and allow you to speak to us and allow us to respond in FaceTime with you, Father. We love you so much. Thank you for your grace.